Dear Lord of life, we come to behold your word, to, to listen, to be changed and sanctified by your truth. May that be, be with me as I, as I preach. May I be faithful to your word. Holy Spirit, please give me the words. Jesus, please <laughs> mediate this, this effort. Father, please grant me your blessings. Lord, please grant the congregation the ears to hear and the hearts to be softened. They may be changed by your word to actively participate in the sermon as well as I do. Lord, please may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, if you haven't already, and turn to Psalm 39. Psalm 39. ESV has a title of it. What is the measure of my days? Psalm 39. What struggles do we face in life? We face a lot. There are several we can think of me as a, as a student at seminary, and I'm sure, you, you know, those that have gone to college or have gone to even seminary or those in high school, middle school, even grade school, school is a struggle. The studying, why did I put myself through college? What was the point of that? Or even work. Work can be a difficult time. A boss that's frustrating. Maybe you feel unfulfilled in your career. Why has God brought me to this point in life, it feels meaningless. Nothing good has come from this but struggle. Maybe your relationships are falling apart. Maybe you don't know quite how to communicate with your friend or with your loved one, with your children, with your spouse. You just keep having friction and it's been years of just grating upon one another. You feel like you're just getting bashed against a rock. And you think to yourself, well, if I just quit, if I just drop the relationship, if I just leave the job, maybe it'll be better. The worldwide struggle of the church, the persecution that we face around the world, whether being canceled here or getting your head chopped off somewhere else, it's real. And it's hard. And it's easy to think, why? Why bother? It feels meaningless. Have I done something to earn this? Maybe, maybe not. But it's grating at me, and I don't know how to respond to this. I don't know what to do. Surely it's not give up. Do I just hold it all in? Do I go seek help somewhere? How do I respond well? If I respond, will I sin in it? Maybe I'll just shut up and not say anything. Because it's better to, uh, if you can't say something nice, you better not say it at all. Well, this Psalm 39, I think, speaks to that struggle about how we should respond to this. David himself, it says there in the, in the little superscript, the small little letters, to the choir master, to, to Juduthan, a psalm of David. David, the author of this psalm, if you're familiar at all with this story, you know he had his fair share of struggles. 
You know that he was chased by Saul. Spears thrown at him. You know that his friends died. His son betrayed him. Some of these things David was innocent in. Some of these things were caused by his own sin. But here we don't know what specific struggle David's facing. But we do know that he's struggling with a way to respond. Let's read the first few verses of Psalm 39. I said, I will guard my ways, that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle, so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail. My distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. We'll stop there for now. Whatever struggle David is facing, he is feeling it giving him a hard time, and he's wondering, what do I need to do? And it seems his chosen method for now is at least to stop talking. You know, I'm just going to watch what I say, because I'm concerned that what I say might be sinful. I might sin against God, that I may not sin with my tongue, he says, therefore I'll guard my ways. He's worried about crying out to God that maybe something I'll say won't be the right thing to say, so I'll just won't say anything. He's also worried about the wicked before him. Second part of verse 1, I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. I am putting things in place that I may not even speak because if I do, the wicked around me, they'll make fun of me, they'll mock me, maybe my witness will be harmed before them. He is so focused in on this, this issue before him, this struggle before him, and he doesn't know what to do. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail. No good came from this silence. I don't know if this is right. I don't know what's going on. My distress grew worse. That's all I know. It says in verse 3, My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. This phrase is used in Deuteronomy to describe when a loved one has been murdered and you feel the rage to get revenge. feel the rage for them to be punished. I lost someone and you got to pay for it. And David's feeling that same anger here. Why am I silent? Nothing's good coming from this. Why am I dealing with it? I don't know what to do. I've been quiet this whole time and nothing's changing. I've tried to be a good little boy. You know, I'm trying not to sin here. These people, they're mocking me. They're making fun of me. I can't take it anymore. So what does he do? He says, I, then I spoke with my tongue. I can't, let, I can't keep it in any longer. And I think we feel similar things too. As grinding struggles. The hurt within you, the feel like, I can't do anything about this. I've tried and I've tried. What is there for me to do? I feel like I must burst. What does the text say? Does the text say, ah, just give up? No. Does the text say, drop the haters? 
You know, if they're not going to love you well, if you don't want to work that horrible job anymore and deal with this broken relationship or suffer for X, Y, and Z, just stop it. Let it go. Live your best life now. No. The text says, David writes, God is teaching us, reminding us that we're going to die soon. What? How is the fact that I'm going to die soon, that my life is short, going to help me with this struggle? I don't know, but let's keep reading and find out. Verse 4. David cries out, I speak with my tongue, O Lord, make me know my end. And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. We'll stop there again. This section, David is crying out. David, the one who doesn't know how things will end, goes to the one who does. Goes to the Lord. Lord, make me know, because I don't, but you do. You know my end. Not only does uh, the Lord know, verse, uh, verse, five, uh, verse 5 says that he has made his days short. Made it just a few handbreadths. A handbreadth is the width of your four fingers right here. Just a little bit. Compared to the rest of the room, that's my life, just a few. Surely, all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely, a man goes about as a shadow. Surely, for nothing they are in turmoil. This life is meaningless. It's just a a breath. It's just a, and gone. Think about how it's been so cold lately. Going out for uh, even just a trip to the car, you see your breath, the vapor of it, get white with the, with the frost, and then you just see it float down the road, right, for miles? No. It dissipates like that. Gone. Blink and you'll miss it. That is that. <sighs> Our lives are a breath. But the Lord is the eternal one. The one who has numbered those days, the one who has made our lives a breath, he is the one that does not die. And David cries out to him. Notice that David is having a change of perspective here. See that phrase, my lifetime, in verse 5, my lifetime is as nothing before you. That before you, look back to verse 1, it says, so long as the wicked are in my presence. It's hard to see in the English but in the Hebrew, it's a very similar phrase. The wicked are before me, but my life is before you, God. It's the same word there. David is shifting his perspective from focusing on what's immediately before him to realizing who he is before. He is before God, the one who has numbered his days. And he's seeing, whoa. The eternal one has made my days the way they are, just a few handbreadths. He's coming to grips with the reality that 
we're just a breath. This life, is it, is it actually meaningless? Is this, this struggle, it, it, it's so small in comparison to the God who is so big. So we're shifting focus here, but what hope is there? You're struggling in your marriage? Well, I'm going to die soon. <laughs> Makes it better. That's kind of a morbid perspective. <laughs> Working at a job that's unfulfilling. Ah, you know, I'm going to die soon. You know, it'll be okay. Just deal with this for the next, I don't know how many years, just a hand breadth. What hope is there in that? It's, it's odd. What are we wrestling with? David says in the next verse, in verse 7, Now, O Lord, for what do I wait? If my life is so short, what do I have to wait for? He says, My hope is in you, God. What does hope look like? Does hope look like a lasting legacy? No, because man heaps up wealth and doesn't know who will gather. So there's no guarantee that you'll have a legacy. Does hope look like an easy life? Does hope look like a long life? Let's see what hope is. I'll reread verse 7 and go. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely, all mankind is a mere breath. David's shift in perspective from what was immediately before him to the God that he is before makes him realize the sin that is in his life. The hope that he has looks like three things. It looks like, first of all, verse 8, deliverance from sin. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. He realizes that a lot of the struggle that he's experiencing is due to his sin. Maybe not all of it. But if you remember David's life, his sin with Bathsheba led to a lot of suffering. He lost the baby with Bathsheba. His son turned against him, nearly stole the kingdom away. A lot of that struggle came because of his poor choices to disobey God. And so hope, hope is in deliverance from Yahweh. Lord, please deliver me from my sin. Don't make me the scorn of the fool. These wicked ones around me, these fools, they'll look at me and say, ha, look at him. He's just like us. He's no better than us. Deliverance is hope. Hope is also recognition of of who God is. Verse 9, I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. This time it's not David keeping his silence. It's Yahweh who has silenced him with who he is. Think of, uh, you don't have to turn there, but Job Chapter 40, starting in verse 1, and you can listen or you can turn there, I don't don't mind, but it goes like this. The Lord said to Job, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. What does Job say? The Job answered and said, 
Behold, I, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. God silenced Job's response. God has silenced David's response. And when we cry out to God, when we see how big he is, whoa, I don't have anything to say. I, I, I'm just a sinful man. I'm just a sinful woman. Who am I before you, O oh God? What is this breath of a life to your eternal nature? I'm silent. I'm mute. I do not open my mouth in the presence of a great God. So hope is deliverance from sin. Hope is seeing who God is. And hope is the discipline of the Lord. Verses 10 and 11. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. David is asking the Lord to remove this discipline, this discipline that David seemed to cause by his own sin. He's asking for the removal. How dare you, David? I thought you were just silenced. But this discipline is it, discipline is meant to teach you. It's meant to train your faith. It's meant to refine believers. But it's okay to ask for it to go away. Once you've learned your, learn your lesson, like, got it, God. <laughs> Please help me. And this isn't entirely new. This isn't this isn't something original to David. Paul said it too, something similar in 2 Corinthians. Uh, verse 7 and following says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The hope of discipline is that we may be better on the other side of it. The hope of discipline is that God will work in me. This God who is eternal, this God who shuts me up because of how awesome he is, is working to make me more like Christ. Amen. So this struggle is hard, but Lord, please get me through it. Please, can, can we do it and then move on because this is really hard. I don't know that I can handle this anymore. So what do we do? I think we've heard a lot of, of, you know, why struggle is important. We've heard a lot of who is important in the midst of struggle. It's God that's important. It's his plans that are important. In comparison to God, our struggles right immediately before us, just a blip 
and they're gone. That we still have hope. We have hope in deliverance. We have hope in knowing who he is and changing our perspective. We have hope in the discipline that we go through to refine our faith. But what do I do? Do I just keep being silent? Do I start a new workout routine? Do I go see a counselor? David isn't giving me answers yet. And while going to see a counselor, starting a new workout routine, changing your diet, all these tips and tricks are good. Let's do those things. Something more important, more effective, more helpful, more necessary that we can do first. Verses 12 and 13. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. What can we do? We can pray. We can pray. I said at the beginning that I need prayer in order to preach well, and that's definitely true. I am... (laughs) I remember some of my first sermons. And I remember the times when I've preached and I haven't been praying. Boy, is it rough. <laughs> and boy, was it in, in at least some small sense of struggle for me. And I can think of other times that I've struggled. And maybe you can too, where prayer the only thing that helped you to endure. Prayer works. Even when you sin. Even if you sin, you can still go to God. Take everything, everything to God in prayer. We're just saying that. Do we do it? Do we take the little struggles to Him? Do we take the big struggles to Him? Do we take the struggles that were caused by our own sin to Him? Do we go to the God in whom our hope resides? All of our hope is in him. We wait for nothing else. In this short life, will you focus on what's immediately before you or you will focus on the one whom you're before? We approach him humbly. We approach him um, as one who is dependent upon him. For I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. I reside in your land, God. If you wanted to kick me out, you could. I'm just a traveler through here. Lord, please preserve me. And that last verse may be shocking to you. It says, look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. That's not David asking for God to leave him. I don't want anything to do with you. That's asking, like, God, your wrath is heavy. This discipline is hard. Lord, I know that my sin has caused this suffering. Lord, I know that even if sin didn't cause suffering, that it is for my good, but please, I need you to get through it. Prayer, crying out to God, is 
confession of utter dependence upon him, confession that you need Christ, the one who went to the cross, the one who endured the wrath of God. Be free from sin, to have that hope of deliverance, to have that hope of knowing who God is, to have that hope of making it through the discipline that you're dealing with right now. To have hope that, this, that on the other side of this short life that there is an eternity with him. You need Christ. Thomas Watson has a quote that I love dearly. It says, Christ went more willingly to the cross than we do to the throne of grace in prayer. say that again. Christ went more willingly to the cross than we do to the throne of grace in prayer. I'm, I'm right there with you. It's somehow so easy to forget. Just wake up, go eat breakfast, and get started on your day. Or like, ah, I'm having a hard time this week. I'll just grin and bear it. Why don't we pray? What's so hard about it? Why are we so forgetful of it? Maybe we're embarrassed because we realize that we've sinned. Maybe we're worried about sinning with what we say. Maybe we think that doing all these tips and tricks will help us first, help us better. Ah, that's, that's real work. Because prayer, pray more, often feels like a truism. Well, duh, obviously, pray more. But it works, it's real. It's what is best. Prayer is talking to God. The Father, if his children ask, why would he not give? The Son, who mediates our prayers to the Father. The Son, who indeed prays for us. And the Holy Spirit who gives us the words to say. Indeed, even in prayer, even just to cry out, we need God. Why not do it? Why not take advantage of that? Why not come here on a Sunday morning at 9.30 to pray with the saints? To start off a week in a wonderful way. Why not come here once a month on Sunday evenings to pray and to sing songs together, to cry out to God, to read his words back to him, to pray for one another in our needs, in our struggles. It's a wonderful thing. So how, how do we deal with the struggles of a seemingly meaningless, meaningless life, struggles that make no sense, struggles that are even caused by our own sin? We pray. We go to the throne of grace made possible by Christ. With that, let me pray now. Our Father in heaven who hears our prayers, you have made our days. You've numbered them. Lord, may we not it's so focused on what's before us that we forget the one 
whom we are before. Teach us, Lord. Mold us. Discipline us. Deliver us from our sins. Shut us up with the magnitude of who you are. And in our discipline, in your removal of things that are more dear to us than you, may we fall on our knees, bow our hearts, and pray, crying out in repentance, in in humility, casting our cares upon you, for you care for us, trusting that Christ has made a way to the throne of grace. May we do it gladly, willingly, not kicking and screaming all the way. And Lord, help us in our struggles. We do cry out for that. Help us get through them, Lord. Please remove these struggles. Help us to learn. Help us to be formed and then to enjoy rest. We ask these things in the only name that we could ever claim in Jesus Christ. Amen.